Hello and thank you for subscribing to the Law My Praxis OnlyFans. As a special treat, you have advanced access to our ASMR channel. Enjoy. And apologies for cross-posting. Um, I'm going to have to release the fucking ASMR it takes. For, for our mega fans. For our mega fans. If uh, the AHRC won't fund us, then maybe the ASMR community will. We could do, we could do like academic ASMR, like. It's um, it's more of a comment than a question. Can we just circle back? Regards to the level one curricular review. Uh, does anyone have any comments on on last subject meetings minutes? Do they do they all look okay to you? Um, no raised hands on the Zoom. I think we're good. <laughs> Who's our Athena's one representative? This is the last time I'm trying this, and I'm just going to accept that we're cursed. Can you hear us? I can hear you, but I'm guessing you can't hear me now. No, 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 Holy shit, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, the universe isn't against us completely, just partially. Which is why I responded to your question. Is that how (laughs) communication works? I mean, I don't know. I'm Um, I'm learning these things slowly and painfully. Classically, yes. You, um, You two are such good teachers. You missed an, an academic ASMR session while you were out the room. <laughs> wow. We were, we were doing the... Um... It's, it's more of a comment than a question. <laughs> <laughs> can, we, can we just circle back to that question later? Thank you. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we were having a great time while your tech was fucking up. Um, <laughs> This is for our like, only fans. Yeah, it's actually it's birthed something beautiful. Um as I wish all of my fuck ups did. Oh. Are we your monstrous progeny? <laughs> you are my beautiful monstroscopic children. Oh my god, look at that. I made oh. a quote reference to a, <laughs> to a classic text. Yeah, is that I'm guessing that's like our academia quota like done now. Like yeah. have you book. read Frankenstein? Oh my god. Wow. Do you know do you know do you know Frankenstein is not the monster? Wait, what? Whoa! I feel that's been misleading. Thinking about it, maybe he is. <gasps> maybe, maybe we all are. Maybe we all are. <laughs> <laughs> maybe the monster was inside us all along. <laughs> so there's like a Daily Mail or something article that gets trotted out every now and again on Twitter, which was like. Woke academics claim the monster is not the monster. That's a, that's the thing. Don't yeah. want to brag. Do want to brag. Always want to brag. That was my PhD supervisor. Incredible. <laughs> and well, I really, I like. Now. I'm just like bitter. It wasn't like submitted as an impact case study. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I this feel- is the thing. Right? What I will always remind people of is that impact doesn't have to be positive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, how many uh, Daily Mail readers can you make cry? Yeah, the one the one yesterday was about wokery and like some sort of numbers STEM thing. Wasn't it like, like wokery on the oh, march? Oh, which just sounds like a place name. Mm. Like where Alan Partridge lives on wokery yeah. on the march, or like some sort of like <laughs> turn of the nineteenth century, like march of intellect, like it's like rousing sort of yeah. 
Let's go. Cree on the March is absolutely a place where like my granny would live. Um, <laughs> it's got one yeah. pub, one post office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everyone else, everyone else's business, <laughs> and that business is being woke. And that business woke, is the woke company. as hell. Did you see? I can't remember who it was. It might have been. I, I'm failing to provide a citation, um, but someone said that they got a freedom of information request and it led to an academic and it led to, from the Daily Mail and it led to their emails being searched for the keyword woke. <laughs> like, that's how we communicate our wokery. Like, dear oh Louise, you up for some woke action? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Subject heading woke email to discuss woke <laughs> things. I'm going to make these students so fucking woke. Yeah, <laughs> woke agenda. Um, so why are you such a flake? <laughs> um, I want to like say it's it's ADHD, but I think it might actually be a more intrinsic part of my personality. Um, I'm not. I'm. I'm. How are those like from knowing Louise for so long? I'm so confused about that statement. As it as if they're not. Also, <laughs> <laughs> those are the same thing. <laughs> the Venn diagram is a circle. It is a circle. Yeah, the the futile process of trying to figure out what is ADHD and what is me. They are both you, and also you are nothing. Um, <laughs> I'm enjoying the ASMR, uh, but yeah, I think I'm a flake um, because of ADHD. Um, also, because like I I don't like I've realised I really don't like being recorded. <laughs> I don't like there to be a permanent record of my existence in any way, shape, or form. Nice. Um, and just that I constantly say stupid, shitty things, and the idea of them going on the record pains me. Cut my life into pieces. This is my research methodology. Okay, all right. Hello, and welcome to Lol My Praxis. This week we are speaking with the certified flake, Dr. Joan Patty. Uh, is it Patty or Passe? Ah, oh, both. <laughs> passy. Depending on mood, passy. But like, do you ever just, do you ever go for passe just for a bit of a continental flair? Yeah, when I'm feeling saucy. Nice, yeah, a bit passe. <laughs> okay, uh, so Joan has been an absolute bloody nightmare to get on this podcast. Um, she thinks she's better than us, and today we find out why she's not. Joan is a lecturer in English at the University of Bristol, whose research focuses on everything old, wet, and spooky. No, not Jacob Rees-Mogg. The Victorians! Wait what? Um, from drunken sailors to monstrous oceans, her work examines haunted seascapes across Cornwall and the colonies and asks one very simple question. What do you do with a drunken haunted sailor? Uh, she is a BBC AHRC New Generation thinker and, um, as according to the website, a visiting fellow at Edge Hill University and is also the author of the fantastic collection Cornish Horrors. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Why are you so salty? <laughs> wow so salty such a, a salty little sea dog um so salty uh because i realize that i just really like the sea um because it is a place where you know academia can't happen um i can run away from my responsibilities <laughs> i can ignore emails and phone calls um I, I haven't had my phone on loud since you know the early 2000 so that's not really usually a concern um but it's yeah it's a place of escapism it's a place away from all of these pressures and concerns but loaded with lots of strange concerns of its its own making yeah i was gonna say isn't a lot about your stuff to do with like how scary the ocean is yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but I, i'm a gothicist so i find that escapist <laughs> okay, escapist and like nice and kind of like comforting but also horrifying yeah you know escapist with all the deep sea monsters and the shipwrecks and the murder and the criminality and the death like you know just really comforting yeah nice little time off mm, love that for you 
Mm. It's just that like basic bitch true crime podcast vibe, yeah? Um, yeah, pretty much. Uh, I respect that. Me and my pumpkin spice latte are all about that life. Um, yeah, in a way, I guess it is kind of that precursor um, to that that true crime life. A lot of my stuff, because it looks at the 19th century, is all about, you know, newspaper boys on street corners shouting shipwreck shipwreck to sell these these strange tales of shipwreck that would have eyewitness testimonies and engravings illustrations and people would go to the theater and see a ship shipwreck staged george Eliot went and said it was the most blood-curdling things you'd ever seen um how the fuck were they staging a shipwreck like they didn't have the internet <laughs> they were right. they, they were desperate <laughs> entertainment <laughs> and it was you know it was like in the public imagination it was this like ultimate huge huge spectacle um but you only had access to it if you you were living on on the coast um and then the people on the coast probably didn't find it so entertaining and funny so yeah so this idea of like being ne- necessary distance from the coast you know in the city mm. centers where going to see a shipwreck on stage feels fantastical uh but for people living in those coastal places not so much which productions were those? I've not heard of this before. I'm learning. Um, yeah, uh, so this is um, so these would have been kind of folkloric in nature. Um, I can send you some citations. They're not in my head, um, but uh, so they would have been retelling folk tales or retelling recent shipwrecks as well was a thing they yeah. enjoy doing. Um, the Mary Celeste became a really popular topic, and lots of flying Dutchmen as well mm. and uh the medusa the medusa where the the french shipwreck where they all ended up cannibalizing each other um loved going to see that it was basically their panto Amazing. Oh, excellent. so this was this in sort of music halls rather than the theater yes in- yes yeah. music halls you know sawdust yeah. and spitting and drinking excellent nice. and pissing over balconies apparently the Pinocton <laughs> in glasgow you can still slightly smell the piss the historical piss yeah the historical piss um but i was going to ask like you know when they're staging this the shipwrecks do you know anything about like the actual tech like how were they were they just literally just standing on stage and like like throwing their arms about going oh we're sinking or were, or were they actually moving set pieces like was someone throwing water at the audience to get the yeah or was it like a oh, parachute, like, like, those like, 4DX, like pirates 40 at thought park <laughs> oh, I'd lo- like people getting like shot in the face with water pistols, like oh, yeah, yeah. the briny deep. Um, I think it was a combo. Um, so I think they were kind of, I mean, all of it was considered to be lowbrow, but I think it was a combo of, you know, low, lowbrow and high lowbrow, um, depending upon budget. So I think there were, you know, systems of pulleys and using the various phantasmagorias that were available. But I think there were absolutely definitely productions that were like, wobbling side to side like you're on a you know on on star trek um or like wafting sheets it's a wave i promise um i think it was a yeah a combo of the two so just throwing fish into the audience like (laughs) a jelly deal (laughs) (laughs) like this is a really stupid question obviously what the fuck is in a jelly deal like how does one gelatinize an eel like is it just like pigs trotters and eels <laughs> and why do I think that you know the answer to this <laughs> I love that I do know the answer to this and um <laughs> as someone who is both a master chef aficionado and a cockney so we're actually born with the knowledge <laughs> of jelly deals and oh, that, that it just needs to be unlocked mm-hmm. right yeah it just needs to be by such a question at which ca- <laughs> which moment we're like damn I've always known the secret of the jelly dill. <laughs> so it's not, so a jelly dill would technically probably be pescatarian. 
So it's not, there's no pig's trotter getting involved in there. I think it's actually the stuff in the jelly deal that jellifies it. It jellifies itself. Oh, dark, right? Yeah, self jellification. It's why eels are so freaking weird. They are weird. Why is this podcast talking about eels again? We've had several eel episodes. <laughs> Where the fucking god? Everything it. becomes eel in the end. We need to get that medieval eel guy. He never responded to us. <laughs> Yo, medieval eel guy, come on our podcast. Yeah. If you're listening, <laughs> medieval eel guy. Medieval, it just writes itself as a title for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> Psychogeographies. And we can probably get on with the actual proceedings of the podcast. Oh, yeah. So, this is a kazoo. This kazoo unlocks the secrets to your methodology via name that tune, which I will play you a tune. And you are to tell us what is this tune and why do we think, emphasis on the we, we think. think that it's relevant to your research. So it's probably a bastardization of your research, but we don't care because this is a kazoo methodology and I'm holding it. Okay. Yeah, Eddie. I respect the power of the kazoo. Good, you should. I can't remember that bit. I'm really bad at this one. <laughs> I'm glad you can't hear looks of horror. <laughs> I, mean, I, think, I think you should do it again. I yeah, I think I... Okay, I'll just do the chorus. Like second I get really confused around like the second line of the verse. Okay. I, gen- I, I know it. Like it I know viral. how eels are jellied. But I can't bring it to language. It's in a primal, non-verbal place. Would it help if you know that it went viral mm. on TikTok? The youth would probably be like, oh, oh my God. No, the youth Cafe. do not need any more reasons to think I'm haggard. Um, gen- passe. No. Passe. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. I'm passeing right over that. Please, <laughs> please, please let me know. It was supposed to be, although it was butchered, the Weller Man. Oh, okay. Very, very nice. Well, it wasn't. It was pretty shit rendition. <laughs> <laughs> I said no. The concept was very, very nice. The execution. Okay, thank you. Yes. With How does this... of our ideas are best left in the abstract rather than actually realised? <laughs> well, some would say this podcast would have been best left in the abstract rather than. Some would. Some would. Some would be me. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, how does this link to your research? Uh, I, I I hope I hope it links to my research uh, because my research will also go viral on TikTok. Is that yes? That's yes? the main reason. Brilliant. Are you okay. On good. No, I think that's step one. <laughs> <laughs> um, that might be a problem. I'm also wondering if it's something to do with you know sea shanties and sound at sea, sea and sound. Mm. Uh, am I close? I'm yes, asking right. you to uncover my methodology for me. Oh, no, the methodology is like, what's that song that was about the sea? Yeah, let's use that. <laughs> oh, and nice. then we just see what you come up with. But yeah. I mean, I'm we just know. started making sea sounds. Um, so Should, you like which to... was the question we had. So tell us, yeah, tell us about Elaborate. sonic Oh, okay. Uh, if, if you want to make sea, like sea sounds at any point, please feel free. It's, it's your show. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you went straight forward. <laughs> 
Not so sweet. It's like my headset is so good. My borrowed headset is so good that Alex, I like, I felt that in my body. <laughs> I've got, got a really good foghorn. <laughs> so I, I, I got. Like, is there anybody out there? <laughs> That's my impersonation, Kate Winslet in Titanic. Thank you very much, Tom. <laughs> I feel like I'm not emotionally, emotionally stable enough for that reference. <laughs> but, but yeah, it sounds, I do, I do uh, sounds of seas and um, uh, sounds at sea, uh, which, so I've realised when I was thinking about what I would say here, and, and generally, when people ask me about my research, I realise that rather than a researcher, I'm just like a, a, a archive of fun facts. Um, <laughs> so I started looking at, I found out uh, that there are certain places where called dead zones where you stop hearing sounds at sea. Um, so you can, if someone's like playing a foghorn and the ship's going straight out, you'll hear it, you'll hear it, you'll hear it, and then you won't hear it, and then you'll start hearing it again. And I thought that was like, that was, you know, gothic in action gothic mm. the world is gothic sound is gothic um so then i started looking at other kind of strange strange sea sound happenings um but then i just kind of ended up going down a rabbit hole of 19th century scientists trying to figure out how sound moves through water and doing things mm. like sticking their head underwater and then shooting a gun underwater <laughs> and other such Great. absurdities um and yeah foghorns being invented and people being very pleased with them um all sorts. Uh, ultrasound started out so what, as what? working underwater. Ooh, okay. Well, I guess that makes sense, right? Because it's used for ultrasounds for babies in the womb, and the mm-hmm. womb watery, wet, according to all the stuff you read about it. Um, what? <laughs> womb is wet. Wow. I'm not even joking. That is the bit that pisses me off so much about the blue humanities. If I read one more fucking piece from the blue humanities, it's like the water of the ocean is salty, and so is the womb. I'm gonna kill myself. Um, <laughs> That's why it brings happy. us comfort. It reminds us of the womb. Yes, the amniotic fluids. <laughs> yum, yum. Uh, but yeah, so, what did you find out then about those dead zones? Because like of the only dead zones I've I know about. At ocean and the oceans are like the anoxic dead zones, right? Mm-hmm. So do they it's not related to that. What dead zones? That was a that was a woman in STEM term. <laughs> yes, I'm interdisciplinary, Louise, for fuck's sake. Uh, anoxic dead zones when there's not enough oxygen in the water. So the or no wait, no, now I've got that wrong. Too much oxygen. Not enough oxygen? Not a good scientist, me. But good at the other disciplinary stuff. No need a little bit of one discipline and then a big bit of one discipline and still interdisciplinary. Mm. I don't know. Anoxic is dead is yeah, there's no there's no oxygen. Mm-hmm. Or like yeah, okay. Yeah, this is why I prefer to work in the period before they knew what these things were. Uh, yes, that's... <laughs> that's that's my that's my secret that I've revealed mm-hmm. for the people. Um why I like nineteenth century science, because I don't need to actually understand what, what is actually happening, just the funny things that they thought were happening. Um yes, yeah. so uh, the theories uh, varied, you know, theories about how thick the air was, um, referring to thickness of air rather than what was actually in the air, uh, temperature as well. Mm. um thinking about mist and how mm. things were the idea that mist could conceal multiple senses um Ooh. was a fun one um and also I, my favorite ones were maybe it's just mass hysteria 
maybe everyone on this ship has just gone kind of strangely hysterically deaf um, for a moment while traveling through this and then that lent itself to loads of like fun ghost stories about um, Mm -hmm. being on ship and your senses being deprived which I suppose is like it's a really unnatural place to be Um, people are not meant to go there and a a fun fact for you that there's apparently the the brain um, at sea the brain at sea. When you are at sea, the brain has ninety percent less stimulation in terms of when you're actually on like the full high seas and there's nothing around for for miles and miles and miles. Wow, ninety percent. Yeah, that is huge. I love that. Now I'm going to double check that I have that fact correct because I'm citing it from something I read like three months mm. ago. That sounds really soothing. I don't know the way they were talking about it in the um. And the thing I was reading was like, this is horrifying. <laughs> oh, like the um, like the soundproof chamber that people can't spend too long in because they, that, that amount of set because the world is so noisy and people start listening to their own their own pulse and their heart own heartbeat too intensely and it starts making them feel really weird. Ah, here we are. Okay, yeah. Um, at sea, the brain receives eighty five percent less less information than on land. Oh, it's damn close though, wasn't it? So basically. I've now got cabin fever from the Muppets Treasure Island. Just Why didn't we choose that one? Oh, that was <gasps> a great, great kazoo. Yeah. I fucking love that film. Iconic. We're in academia. We lost what sense we had. We're in academia. We're all going mad. So uh, cabin fever, related to your praxis? <laughs> As in, um, I have it a lot. <laughs> being locked in my house uh, or my my basement office um so my what comes to mind when i think of cabin fever is that i used to work on the ss great britain as a volunteer um which is an amazing experience um because tourists are very strange people um which i think i think i'm allowed to say like i work on like gothic tourism stuff i think it's yeah. i think i've all, all, all we have all been weird tourists in our time um but there was uh, the ss great britain it links back to senses um have an olfactory tour have either of you seen it or smelled no. it <laughs> I, have not, I have not smelt the ss great britain I, I hope it is on your bucket list now. Um, so they have awesome. like, if you go into like the kitchen, it, they've got scents hidden. So it smells like baking mm-hmm. bread. If you go oh. into the um, barber's room, it's the smell of soap. Um, you go to different places and you follow this scent trail, except there is obviously a room of a guy throwing up with seasickness that smells incredibly strongly of vomit. Um, and I liked okay. being like placed near that room as a tour guide to watch people's faces change colour quite dramatically. <laughs> <laughs> because it's it's Maybe. a powerful aroma. Um, so and it's also it's it's great because they've set it up so you can see how tiny the sleeping quarters were even even oh. for first class passengers and just yeah. the idea of it oh would have driven me absolutely mad ideally mm. like not being within about 20 or 30 feet of other human beings yes preferable yeah mm-hmm. it's a bit it's a bit much no, that's, that's not my my vibe um so before we forget we asked you a million years ago, a literal million years ago, for your Tinder bio. Mm, do you remember it? When Tinder was still relevant. It's do people not use Tinder? Is it now not the thing? Hinge or something? Hinge, Bumble? Hinge, Bumble. I don't know if they even have profiles. What's your bio? <laughs> oh, was I meant to write it down and remember it? <laughs> 
Um, we can send it to you so you can say. No, no, no. I will remember it. I will remember it. Uh, but it's it's taking me back to a past self who thought this was funny. So you can't judge me for this. Me okay, here well, now. Well, I'm talking to you. You can yeah. judge past me for it, and it's fine. I said. Uh, so my PhD research was on representations of Cornwall in 19th century mm -hmm. literature and culture um, and I think my initial proposal was um, Cornwall is impenetrable, untamable, haunted, much like my vagina mm -hmm. I think was yeah. the punchline and for some reason I my publisher it. hated that as the tagline for the book. <laughs> was that the British Library? Absolutely. <laughs> no, British Library were about it. Um, University of Wales Press, not so much. That is that is a heinous oh. lie. <laughs> I have <laughs> not had this conversation with the British Library nor University this. of Wales Press. We're going to spread this. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I'm all about it. Um, I was more about it when I realised that you'd had this conversation with your publishers, which I'm choosing to believe is fact. Um, <laughs> But yeah, no, I I mean, I always find um, comparisons to vaginas very funny. Yeah, they are. It feels timeless um, and classy. I'm particularly intrigued by, you know, I like the untamable, I like the haunted, um, the, the, the kind of the allusions to vaginismus. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right, Medical humanities, I do it. <laughs> I thought so. I thought so. That's what I was getting here. One of the questions in this document is, oh, look, you're moving into medical humanities. Why are you trying to be me? Why isn't everyone trying to be you? <laughs> well, crucially, <laughs> truth fact. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'd swipe right on that. I mean, yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, yeah. yeah, I'm keen. I'm keen to like talk to the lady with the spooky vagina. It'd be great. <laughs> I, like, I like the idea of someone looking through and being like, "Oh, I did have a nice holiday in Cornwall once." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> childhood memories. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so I, I do have a follow-up question, though, from this um, excellent Tinder bio, which is that, so from, from looking at your online, um, you know, persona, yeah, we'll go with that, um, you've got the sea, you've got the subterranean, you've got theme parks, and they're all in relationship to the Gothic, and my question is, to what extent are you actually just researching different nicknames for your vagina? Uh, this, it feels like that moment in therapy where you're like, oh, yeah, I have been doing that. That's so healthy for me, but also maybe I need to address that. <laughs> and I can't believe I just got it for free. Um, <laughs> We're here all week. Yeah. I mean, you know, as Siggy Freud would say, everything's about trying to get to get back to the vagina. Mm. Um, so maybe that's my my methodology. I, I don't want to hear how you play that on a kazoo. <laughs> <laughs> Haunted vagina. What would a vagina sound like? Depends <laughs> how haunted. Do not bring in the lollipop that you are chowing down on <laughs> into the chowing south of podcast. <laughs> the, the multiplicity of oral props that you have available mm. for this for this okay. task. Okay, so we're basically talking caverns right now. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. Um, Deep, I wet have caverns. wet caverns. And fun, theme parks. Mm -hmm. Fun. Mm -hmm. The Oedipus complex be like Fuck 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 
Fuck. Mommy shark. Kill. Kill. Um, I have a question that moves it kind of back to some of your kind of earlier research, which is, isn't Cornwall just England? Oh, it's great pot stirring. Um, so, no. Um, and it's, <laughs> and we'll, we'll, we'll leave it there. No. Um, so that's, that's kind of what I was interested in because I, uh, when I went to Cornwall, I lived in Cornwall for three years at the University of Exeter, uh, Penryn campus, um, as a little Londoner leaving the city for the first time. And I was so fucking angry to be there. Um, I was like, where are we? This campus isn't even built yet. I'd never been that far. I was absolutely fuming and I completely, completely fell in love with it. Um, and I think I fell in love with it because of this like you know the London everywhere else divide <laughs> the, the idea of you know the the idea of London as kind of metropole as like centre of everything and then everything else is periphery and fringes um is all what this this research into regionalism and provincialism and Celticism is dealing with and I like the idea I started getting into the idea of Cornwall kind of being its own centre um and then everything else is fringe um referring to like Londoners as northerners um and kind of like recentering it in its own map, its own geography. Um, and I think, I mean, who wants to be called English for a start? It's insulting. Um, I don't love it, and I am. <laughs> um, but it's just also it's just a really particular particular place. Um, and everyone who studies any region says that their region is the most particular. But I truly believe. Again, I keep saying region over again, and it feels like I'm talking about my vagina again. My region is the most special region. <laughs> <laughs> I know everyone says their region is special, but I love the scent of my region. Scent <laughs> <laughs> of my region. But no, I, it is. I genuinely do believe that it is. It is very, very particular, and it has its own unique history, its own culture, a language that you know, unlike Welsh, died off. There's now movements mm -hmm. to revive it. Um, and I think that's a double-edged sword because people use that particularism either to like fetishize it, um, mm. but it also can be used as like a liberatory function. But it's very difficult to find the balance between those two things. So, because I'm interested here in terms of like, because there are um, well, I guess established traditions, or at least um, people have argued that there are ex explicit traditions of Welsh Gothic, Scottish Gothic, Irish mm. Gothic, Cornish Gothic. My mm. question is, do you have to have a flag to have a Gothic? <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah that methodology is the the eddie Izzard methodology of Gothicism. Yeah, exactly. yeah do you have a flag um flag. yeah i think it's very necessary to to the process and gothicists famously love an accessory mm -hmm. so like because like with um i'm trying to remember now in terms of back in the times when i nearly did a phd on scottish gothic <laughs> hello uh, Ooh, what an alternate universe that is what an alternate universe. Um, I'm trying to remember the the various tropes and everything that kind of happened. It's, it's the classic sort of like things that I think actually now are quite debatable in terms of like the Caledonian anti-syzygy, that idea of like constant internal um, schisms and binaries, right? The Jekyll and Hyde's, the, um, the various kind of like other oppositions that are slipping from my mind. Uh, you've also got a lot about the North and like very Northern landscapes. Um, uh, any other things, mm, some sort of like particular Celtic sort of folkloric elements that kind of weave their way through it. Um, so what makes a Cornish Gothic Cornish? Is it a pasty? Is it a ghost? <laughs> it, ghost it, a pasty? 
is the is the pasty the most haunted of foodstuffs yes because it conceals it, it, it conceals mm. by its very nature um oh just as like a brief diversion and please you don't have to include this and it might be a good idea if you don't um but the day i realized that i was in love with cornwall was when i went down to a local pub and uh these two elderly cornish men followed me in and one of them just went oh i bash her pasty in um <laughs> and i i thought it was just so delightful <laughs> i just thought it was so so delightful i was like yeah, yeah typical londoner oh how quaint <laughs> what, what quaint peoples um yeah, one of my favorite memories of my first couple of days in cornwall that um <laughs> welcoming me uh into into the county um i think what is unique about a a cornish gothic um is that it does have elements of all of those so you know you get this overarching kind of celtic gothic umbrella which is basically fuck the english which fair yeah, um so you get that, that sense of kind of opposition and retaliation and simultaneous kind of resistance and collaboration on different things whether it be monarchy or law or certain elements of culture um and i think the corp the cornish stuff i think is about the the you know the the landscape stuff the wet stuff and the deep stuff so i think a lot of it's mining and i know mm. that wales has you know mining history as well um but the way in which mining was at its peak um, long before the Industrial Revolution and then died mm -hmm. during the Industrial Revolution. So Cornwall kind of becomes this warning story, mm -hmm. I think is unique. And Ooh, then the... Yeah. story haunting. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. And then like the also how much water there is. Um, so, you know, there's a Scottish Shores project right now that Emily Alder's working on and there's lots mm -hmm. of great stuff Shout about out. Welsh coastal space. Shout out. Um, but that, you know, you're no more than... Uh, 17 miles from the coast anywhere in Cornwall and it's it imagines itself frequently as an island uh, because of the separation of the Tamar as well so surrounded by water on three sides um, and I think that sense of you know the possibility of breaking off and the insularity of that also makes it particular mm. I hope so anyway because that's what's in my book <laughs> <laughs> I'm convinced <laughs> sure it's because um, we're talking about the sort of Celtic connection as well and my vague memory of knowing anything about Celtic languages is that Cornish and like Breton are really linked mm -hmm. is there a sort of northern Frenchiness because but that's not quite right because Breton doesn't really see itself as France but is there a connection that way um, yeah 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 I think there's in many ways more similarities between Cornwall and Breton than Cornwall and Wales um even though you've got that in that kind of land-based proximity um because of the relationship the cornish had with water you know it, it remains significantly easier to travel around cornwall by boat than by land it is mm -hmm. uh, it is an inaccessible place it is not designed it's still there's a story from uh, Thomas Hardy from like the 1850s where he's talking about it taking 11 hours to get from London to Cornwall and how awful that is what and I read that while I was on a train taking 11 mm -hmm. hours to get from London mm -hmm. to Cornwall um so oh, I my favorite thing about that sorry I'm, I'm no, go, go. my partner my partner studied in Cornwall um the first two years that I was here in Glasgow and it was the year of like the massive massive floods where literally the, the train tracks got eroded and fell yeah. into the sea um and what I loved most is that when I was looking up articles about whether or not the, the, the line had been repaired and whether I'd ever be able to go down to visit him in Cornwall, uh, is that they managed to blame Hitler. Um, <laughs> I, I think this was like 2014. Um, and they were like, it's because there was going to be a long, a, a new railway um, infrastructure imported across like Dartmoor and all the way down to Cornwall. Um, but it got 
cancelled because they had to use the labour and the money and the materials for the war effort. So it, it never got made, which is why everyone has to rely on this rickety ass fucking submerged railway instead that takes 11 hours. So thanks, Hitler. <laughs> Cheers, babe. Yeah. One, of, one of the many things he took from one of the many things that we can be angry at him for <laughs> that was um that was the final year of my degree um and i was told that i could do a little like welcome lecture for the new the like the visiting um on at the open day the visiting potential undergraduates and it would have been my first sweet taste of teaching my first take at power and i was like it begins here joan this is this is where it's gonna happen and obviously no one came <laughs> and i feel that's like that should have been a warning mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for my like for it. my academic future but yeah it's hard it's difficult to get into cornwall it remains difficult to get into cornwall so it makes sense that maybe there would have been better connections across the water um mm. in Brittany than than with wales um there's very similar things to the Cornish pasty in Breton at the same time um and you know the Bretons argue that they invented it yeah um and you know there's st michael's mount um there's the french one and the cornish one um that are nearly nearly identical um uh so there's yeah there's lots of different cultural and linguistic parallels between them and and gothic stories as well they share a werewolf um there's a werewolf Ooh. legend called i'm not going to be able to say it i'm going to try this collaborate no please delete that um there is a werewolf legend <laughs> that appears in both that has a lot of similarities as well last night i dreamt i went to mandalay again it was the return of a cornish repressed i think um it's probably fair to say that folk probably haven't studied much cornish gothic apart from like maybe rebecca mm -hmm. but in terms of like 19th century cornish gothic and kind of folklorish cornish gothic like what are your faves well tell us about um tell us about your fave gothic-y, monstery things. Out Top five. Top five. Yeah. Oh, this could take a while. Oh, just some faves. I love them so much. Okay, so the book that got me into it um, was, uh, so how I started doing my PhD is that I was doing a gothic course in my third year um, in the Daphne du Maurier building in Cornwall. And I was like, Ooh, these nice. things melded in my brain. And I asked uh, my teacher, you know, is there a Cornish Gothic before Daphne du Maurier? And he said, ah, nah, not really. And then for his sins, he was my PhD supervisor for four years. Um, shout out. <laughs> so I started digging for this stuff. And the first thing I found was a book by Sabine Baring Gould uh, called In the Roar of the Sea, which I genuinely feel deserves like 30 dramatic period adaptations starring Aidan Turner, because it's just so... Miss, you know, Rochester, Heathcliff, brooding. There's a waif, she swoons, it's perfect. But it's got this hero in it called Captain Cruel Coppinger, which is just Sorry, what? Captain Cruel Coppinger. Coppinger. That's a one. What That's a banger. A what yeah. a banger. Um, <laughs> lovely Dickensian naming conventions. And mm -hmm. he's just, he's absolutely wild. And he, at one point, he dashes a puppy against a cliff in a blind rage. Oh, classic. I love a good puppy dash. That right? will, that's how we know they're villains. That's, that's, that's a Heathcliff vibe. That's a Heathcliff, right? <laughs> on. on your Victorian literature <laughs> bingo list. Oh. Puppy dash. Mm. Um, and he, like, this, this, she, she has red hair, so he calls her his little goldfish uh like to try and woo her not um, a name i've ever been called um <laughs> that, you, okay. i'm not sure if you're no, saying no. that in like a bit away or not like why is i don't, ever know. I don't quite goldfish? know how to feel about it to be honest <laughs> i mean 
memory of five seconds. If the if the shoe fits. <laughs> No pressure. <laughs> but you have five seconds to decide if you want this in your life permanently. <laughs> um, and he's just, he's a great swaggering anti-hero and he burns to death in his cottage that's made of shipwreck driftwood. And it's called Othello Cottage. And like, there's a church on the coast that keeps filling with sand and the reverend's constantly like trying to take it out in buckets and it's futile. It's the symbolism is so heavy handed that it's, you know, it's easy for a tiny brain such as mine to be able to analyze it, which I enjoy. Um, so I recommend that. And then the dad, you know, the goth daddy, Bram Stoker loved Cornwall and wrote the jewel of seven stars set in Cornwall. Well, not set in Cornwall, it ends in Cornwall. It's about an Egyptologist who has a mummy that he needs to revive, but got to take her somewhere familiar. Got to take her somewhere where she won't wake up and be like, London, what is this? Um, so obviously he takes her to Cornwall, the most exotic uh, and and dry and temperate of, of lands. And it's a subtropical climate, not wrong. No, not wrong, not wrong. You know, Stoke had a point. And he uh, he pops her on a train and then the county kind of resists her entry. Um, so, yeah, bridges start collapsing and there are like landslides and everything that could possibly happen on this journey. Much like the journey of me getting on this podcast <laughs> goes like horrifically wrong. Um, so eventually she turns up and she she possesses his daughter and she wakes up and she's a mummy in Cornwall and she's having a great time. And I imagine she's still there now. Enjoying pasties, fighting seagulls. Maybe she was behind the 2014 flooding. Oh, true. Terrible the Nazis, and frankly, my money's on her. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any, like, just absolutely outrageous, like, egregious monsters in this stuff? Or is it more just, like, vibes and wrecks? Um, yeah, it's that kind of, a lot of it tends to be that like brand of gothic that's very much like not explicitly supernatural, but it kind of makes your tummy feel weird. Um, like Rebecca territory, uh, no, Daphne Warren's feeding from. Um, there do tend to be a lot of kind of more, what we think of as more kind of folkloric or fairy tale monsters. So there's lots of piskies, um, the piskies in the mines that either warn you that the mine's going to collapse or make the mine collapse, depending upon the telling. Um, called the Tommy Knockers, that then inspire Stephen King's The Tommy Knockers, but he imagines them as aliens. Spoilers. Um, there's a little goblin man in mines where uh, the miners would go down, and if they were desperately poor, because Cornish poverty throughout the 19th century was it, it was famine, it was so extreme, and it's still one of the most deprived regions in Northern Europe, the third most deprived region in Northern Europe, I think. Um, so they'd go down the mine and then the little goblin man would come up and be like, every time you, you prick your finger, if you say the word wan, it will form a golden coin. So obviously these lads are found dead in piles of gold coins. Um, but I always thought that like it lends itself to more nasty grisly things. Like where am I, where am I mining vampires? <laughs> it's dark down there. Like there's loads of underground space. You can have a great time. People, like miners are like wandering down there all the time, easy little snacks, mm. little happy meals on ladders. Interesting. Maybe there's like a lack of the kind of sexual connotations. You like, say miners like... ain't sexy. Well, I'm, I'm I'm thinking more about like flows, right? The the vampiric mm. stuff that I I know about, which kind of like goes in in with extractive economies, is more to do with like oil, right? Yeah. And there's a, there's a yeah. clear kind of correlation there in terms of pipelines, bloodlines, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. So mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe. Maybe mining's just not wet enough, you know? Yeah. 
or maybe the understanding of the class dynamic in Cornwall at that time is very much about Mm. kind of the city workers buying Mm. up the mines and influencing the mines from outside the county and then the miners Mm. going down into the mine so the the creature living in the darkness is the subjugated one rather than the blood-sucking one Mm, yeah interesting I know and I mean, on a really crass level, you don't need to be penetrated by vampires if you're already penetrating the rock. <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Vampire. Wow. I've had enough penetration. Wow. I'm all penetrated out, actually. Mm-hmm. Wow. I've got a pickaxe. I don't need your fangs. Yeah. <laughs> Think about that one. Um, so Amazing. Incredible. Thank you, Louise. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome for that one. That, that, yeah. Bing, bang. Professional Standards Framework works with individuals and institutions in higher education to provide students with an excellent learning experience. I I have a question. I want to go back to the theme park thing, though, because you've written about, what's it, dark tourism, gothic tourism. And one of the things you wrote about was Thorpe Park. And I used to fucking love Thorpe Park. I even went to the Friday nights. Um, So I want you to tell us a little bit more about what is gothic tourism. Oh, so, yeah, and don't not... see your vagina we've already been there try yeah, another one we've been there a lot <laughs> many we've been there a lot been. we've got the fast track come on <laughs> you've got the, you've got the picture of you going ah <laughs> the wristband <laughs> <laughs> the souvenir curly straw um <laughs> so yeah um i started looking at it because uh in the, from a 19th century context because of the number of travel narratives of people going to Cornwall because they're attracted to the darker side of Cornwall so mm. they're not going to Cornwall for the beautiful beaches and the lovely sunshine they're going there to find these terrifying tales they're going there mm. to find the ghost of King Arthur and Merlin on the beach um and they kind of there's a lot of kind of narratives of touristic disappointment that occur so people going to Tintagel and expecting something marvelous and encountering ruins and then kind of being like oh but then oh telling God. that story you're doing a one star on TripAdvisor. yeah but project. then people reading that <laughs> and thinking oh I'm about that and then turning up at Tintagel and then going well oh. And it becomes this weird self-perpetuating cycle. Like um, the most disappointing, there's a list of the most disappointing tourist attractions. And the number one is like, I think the little weeing boy in Copenhagen um, or something like that. Or maybe it's like the little mermaid statue in Copenhagen. But people are still interested in like disappointing, pathetic tourist attractions. Um, So I got it into that way. Why do people seek out darkness as like a touristic thing? conclusions being a lot a lot of t- the birth of tourism in the 19th century is is escapism and people um you know as labor changes people are looking for something different uh, for novelty away from their day-to-day lives um and then i started thinking how that works in a modern context and how so much there is a lot of gothic tourism right um so like Jack the Ripper tours are completely mind-bogglingly awful when you start actually thinking about it. Um, there are some tours where they project post-mortem photographs of the victim on the wall above where the bodies were found. And people pay for that and, and want to do that. And they get, you know, five-star TripAdvisor reviews. Um, Aye, but it's OK because it's Victorian. And so, you know, yeah. Well, this is interesting, though, because it's making me, there's like a lot of stuff um this is semi-related classic mm. podcast move um but there's a lot of pushback against the, the recent jeffrey Dahmer documentary mm-hmm. it's not series. a documentary is it the series the tv series mm-hmm. right the, the the fictionalization of it right because again it's that kind of translation of true actual historical horrific 
murders mm-hmm. being turned into a source of entertainment, which is exactly what happens with the Ripper narratives. So yeah, yeah, the the big you know people argue that Ripper is the beginning of true crime, um, fetishism, mm. and an interest. And I, yeah, I wonder if we are hitting a moment where the tables are almost turning and people are becoming more aware and critical of it. With you know mm. Haley Rubenfeld's book on the. Yeah the five um the criticism of of dharma which didn't happen when ryan murphy who produced it released uh something on the killing was it the killing of um versace which was very similar almost identical in tone but people didn't seem to respond to that in the same way maybe because dharma is just a more well-known name maybe because the culture is different um and now kim kardashian is starting a true crime podcast so maybe that really is the death knell of the mode is it just about tax avoidance like what is it (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> i have no i have no it's because she has a law degree um she she does she yeah. has all yeah she has a law degree because uh, you're following in her, her father's noble footsteps so maybe that's <laughs> a, that's the point where no one's going to think it's cool anymore um mm-hmm. yeah. so but then i was like okay so you have this like really dark true crime stuff that makes me sad to write about um but there's also like the really campy kitsch stuff, like mm-hmm. the you know like the ha- haunted houses and ghost yeah. walks and f- fright nights at, at theme parks. And I realised that loads of it is specifically Victorian. Like when people mm. think of those of spooky things, they're not thinking of you know it's a terrifying ghost of an accountant. It's, it's always like a little chimney sweep or something. Um, mm. And I was wondering why the kind of sanitised, cleansed entertainment gothic that can be used in those family situations is always victorian because hmm. we're the best because we're the coolest yeah that was that was my conclusion because we're banging the abject yeah um so you mentioned mentioned really briefly like um king arthur and uh, merlin so uh, was the king arthur legend actually cornish or is it just a victorian lie uh so king arthur was cornish uh to his bones um i have to say that because a select group of people will find me and know where i live um no it's <laughs> there's debate so many debates about whether you know the figure of king arthur if he were real were you know welsh or you know glastonbury or you know washed up uh, as a babe on the shores of tintagel and those debates go on throughout the 19th century and and further on um you know, the Cornish claim that he was born in Tintagel when his body carried off to, to Glastonbury to be buried. And that explains that. Um, long journey as well. Um, so I think a lot of it is a Victorian invention. And it's a lot of it is not being created by Cornish people. It's being a lot of what I'm talking about. A lot of these, this kind of mythologization of Cornwall is this gothic, haunted, strange, uncanny place isn't coming from inside Cornwall. Um, mm. it's coming from outside and it's very much in this you know familiar genre of of middle class romanticization of provincial spaces to kind of fulfill a tourist agenda at this point as well so this is when the GWR are building train networks into Cornwall and they're selling guidebooks with all of these stories you know they're including mm. excerpts from Tennyson's Idols of the King you know buy this train ticket so you can go and walk in the footsteps of Tennyson and Arthur um, so I do think it is a projection, a romanticisation. But you also had Cornish people who kind of went along with it for, for money. So um, if, you know, tourists would like turn up and be like watching the Cornish at work, like, oh, look at the quaint Cornish people. And the Cornish would charge them gazy money. Like, Amazing. You owe me gazy money. So there's a gr- degree there's of collusion. 
yeah exactly so there's a degree of collusion um as well that kind of tampers with that like that them being Love kind of exploited term, or watched gazy money. money yeah like, I think we should just start fan. charging people gazy money all the time. Yeah, absolutely. I want to charge. Isn't that the like, business model for OnlyFans, right? That's what I just yeah. said. That was literally yeah. made. Yeah, fuck you. Nineteenth <laughs> century. Which you know. Nineteenth <laughs> century Cornish miners invented OnlyFans as fathers facts. of industry. Facts. Mm. Heard it here first. Mm-hmm. Um, I was wondering when you were talking about the kind of internal making the uncanny like within the sort of British Isles itself but presumably this is coming out of a very similar period in which you've got kind of like you know this the scramble for Africa and yeah. various dodgy shit going on in the empire mm-hmm. so is that turn is, is that turned does it work alongside the sort of gradual dying of the empire idea mm-hmm. like how, how are these kind of intersecting if at all yeah I think a lot of the a lot of the language um that's that's being used is the language of imperialism and you have to be really careful uh, Jane Aaron writes about this amazingly in Welsh Gothic you have to be really careful to be very clear that the language is colonial the rhetoric mm-hmm. is colonial it says within a colonial environment but you know we're talking about Wales and Cornwall um mm-hmm. very different spaces though there are weirdly there's lots of kind of racial ethnography stuff happening mm-hmm. you know referring to the welsh irish and the cornish as distinct races mm-hmm. which is linked into this system um but they're very different histories and cultures to co- other colonized nations around the world um uh so yeah it's it's part of the same same parcel and it feeds into the story so there's an arthur conan doyle story uh, called the adventures of the devil's foot where uh sherlock goes on holiday for rest and relaxation to cornwall um because what's this like you need to rest my son and he's like okay what happens bloody murder who'd have thunk it oh my god <laughs> oh, can't get a break that guy <laughs> like, i mean oh, I'd be, a peaceful trip to the fucking falls like go see a nice waterfall dies yeah. has to be revived by popular opinion yeah. like can you catch a break <laughs> a cursed a cursed man you wouldn't want to be mates with him some like real midsummer murder shit going on um and it, it turns out that the villain of the piece is this kind of very archetypal victorian generic africa african adventurer so the villain of the piece is this kind of archetype imperialist mm-hmm. Like in, I think it's like 19, it's early, uh, very early 20th century. Um, and the, it maps that kind of adventuring, conquering idea onto Cornwall as this this foreign place of new adventures. And it's it's he funded his trips around the world with mining money as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the, the pickles in reading coloniality into images of Cornwall is that the Industrial Revolution and the Imperial Mission would not have happened without Cornish resources. Mm. Um, and then Cornwall's kind of obfuscated from those histories, but it, it's still the case. It, it, you know, the riches of Cornwall enabled all of these things. Mm. In spooky ways, it turns out. In spooky ways. In very mm-hmm. spooky ways. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Ooh, spooky. I think Alex has a question. I have a final question um, because we are nearing our hour and I want to um, make sure that we don't go over time. And that is, who is the greatest new generation thinker? 
We have two of you currently. Oh, do I have to choose between us two, or can I choose I between both, all of I think them? You both have to make a pitch. Like you're both new generation thinkers. Like I warn you, we have had pitching training. We have <laughs> significant mm-hmm. pitching so who's, training. Who's the best I don't think we can't do this because you know we want to collab in future, yeah. and it might make things fractious. That musical the- gothic musical theatre episode is going to have to happen. <laughs> I um <laughs> I uh, I have a musical theatre tattoo, um and mm. I no one usually sees it because it's on my on the top of my leg, and I was wearing a dress the other day where my students saw it, um, <laughs> which is always fun. <laughs> so it's a mm, great icebreaker with students, <laughs> my flesh, um, <laughs> and. It's it's so it's it's of Tim Curry as Frankenfurter, but it's it's incredibly large, um, like as big as my head. Like it's like I've got two heads, but one of them is Tim Curry's head. Incredible uh, choice. <laughs> um, and she just went, "What does happen if he's a paedophile?" <laughs> oh my god, Gen Z are fucking savage. I love it. And I was like, "Damn, wow, yeah. it's, it's week yeah. two. <laughs> Where do we go from here?" Um, yeah, yeah. That's, and it's, you know, I was like, I don't need to teach you critical thinking skills. You've got buckets of critical thinking You've got buckets of, it. buckets of it. Also, um, I'm, but- I'm, I'm out, is this actually a, a fear? Like, I don't, I'm out of the loop on the Tim Curry. No, no, not this. Oh, yeah. as a caveat, there is no, no rumours of Tim Curry. Okay. I think okay. it's just in the Me Too. Yeah, in the Me Too. In, in the light of anyone the could be. Anyone could yeah. be. So it's, every time I, I see Tim Curry age. trending, I do go, hmm? Hmm? <laughs> my thigh <laughs> dead or pedophile really... <laughs> <laughs> which island was really fucked for me because like I, I watched Rocky Horror Picture Show really soon before seeing up at Treasure Island mm-hmm. so oh my <laughs> god fucking Franken for her, Long John Silver and like it really warped the film really, really <laughs> but also um, planted the seed in your mind that pirates are fundamentally sexy aliens Oh yeah, of course. Which yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm sure has cemented something yeah, in my brain enough. and yeah. impacted my research profoundly. <laughs> I definitely, you know what? I think I could find a trifecta of Tim Curry being incredibly influential to me, which is Muppet Treasure Island, absolutely oh. incredible, uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, and uh, Fern Gully, where he is, you know, the toxic slime <laughs> <laughs> of oil and deforestation. And you know, I think these three elements—the sea and piracy, environmentalism, uh, sexy, sexy queerness. Yeah, I like oh, it. Wow. the worst witch original film and has a really awful um song in it. It's really oh. bad like, about Halloween. I kind of love that song. Yeah, it's awful. It's great. Yeah, yeah it's great. Um also clue. Yes. Clue. So good. Yeah, I think that's my trifecta. I think clue, mm-hmm. Long John Silver, Rocky Horror Picture Show, mm. queer gothic you murder mysteries. Think- with Maybe there should be a new element we add to the podcast, which is like map yourself against Tim Curry. <laughs> Six where of Tim where Curry. do you where do you fall where on the Tim Curry? Yeah. The Tim Curry are you? Um, so since you refuse to rate us, um, which I'm taking as a victory by default, yeah. Um, could we just ask you then? You know, Rocky Horror Picture Show, like obviously it's a huge thing. Like, let's talk about the important are you, are, you do, are you doing a backdoor pilot? No. <laughs> uh, Rocky Horror has a birthday next year. Uh, seven Ooh. years in 2023. Um, so it'd be seven years since Rocky Horror first debuted on stage. Is 
you know, a gothic musical, and there are many, many of them. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, Jodie Passy at Lancaster, no relation, uh, is doing it. She's my sister. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we just don't relate. No, she's great. Uh, she's doing her PhD <laughs> in gothic musicals um, and why so many of them mm-hmm. end up being coming out of Victorian novels. And I know, Louise, you've done Heathcliff, right? Oh, God, don't get on it. My question is, uh, <laughs> do you call yourselves the Passy Posse? <laughs> <laughs> yes no we actually have done hey, that hey Posse. um at um, uh, jp squared uh because she's Jodie Passy. i'm joan Passy, which just makes jimmy packham really sad oh, <laughs> um we will eventually uh collaborate together but we both have the same genetic flakiness mm. unfortunately which makes such things impossible um mm. but yeah lots of interesting i hope there will be lots of celebratory commemorative stuff about Rocky Horror next year because I think it's hugely I mean it's created us yeah. you know and if that's the only legacy then surely that's plenty it's the material turn cool okay in which case finally is note. there anything that you think our dear dear listeners should be made aware of any networks events books mm-hmm. You don't have to mention any networks with Alex. Like, Blue Humanities, who? who? (laughs) I haven't met her. (laughs) 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 It doesn't even go here. (laughs) It doesn't even go here. Um, So, if anything you want to be aware of, let us know. We will tag and put them in the show notes. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you. So there's nothing. Oh, I thought you were going to put them in the show notes. I thought there was going to be one. No, I don't know what they are. Tell me what they are. I'll put them in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so Haunted Shores Network. Haunted Shores, yes. Haunted Shores Network, yeah. And the uh, Owl Haunted Shores Anthology in all good and bad bookshops. Excellent. Perfect. We've been my Praxis. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget, a five-star output deserves five-star reviews. No reviewer two comments, please. Shout out to our biggest fan and most consistent listener, my mother, Faye. You can get in touch with us by emailing lawmypraxis at gmail.com or finding us on Twitter at lawmypraxis.